This is the Christian Life Center podcast. Here at CLC, we are messengers of hope, where we believe in taking God's message of hope everywhere we go to everyone we meet. From wherever you are, be encouraged by this week's message. Let me remind you of a definition of shift. We started a few weeks ago looking at it. Shift is that you begin to move or, or there is a, a, a movement that takes place and it causes one to move from one place to another. That's the definition of sh- uh, shift, that we, uh, something is caused to move from one place to another. And that's what we're praying for, that there's a shift in position or direction, Maybe you're going one way, you're making decisions in one area, you're thinking one thing, and now God begins to shift your mind, your your mindset, and he begins to move you in a different direction or move you to a new position. And lastly, there's a shift in the emphasis or the focus or the tendency of what we may be doing or focusing on or emphasizing in our life. A divine shift is a supernatural move from one place, one level, one realm, to another place spiritually. It might be a slight shift. It may be a major shift. And by the way, sometimes a slight shift is just enough to make something just bubble over and boil over. Water boiling at 208 degrees or 5 degrees will not, uh, uh, it could be hot, but it's something like, what, 212 degrees that it begins to boil, that it'll boil over. Now, you're going to Google up what's the exact uh, number there, but, but, but you could just be right there. It could be hot, you could be burnt, but the bubbling over, the moving over, is just a few degrees of temperature. The shift that's there is a divine shift. It's a, it's a supernatural advancement that God moves in your life, and I receive that spiritually. Supernatural advancement in different areas, finances, career, business, in your character, in your life, in your ministry, that there is a shift. We looked a few weeks ago that the shift is life-changing. When God divinely and supernaturally shifts you, there is, a, there is a life change that you can never go back the same. And yet it, revol- it involves our participation. God is not just going to do it. We must be a part of that shift that God is going to make. And therefore, to be a part of it, I've got to have courageous faith. Because I've got to be willing to move out of the comforts of the now and the comforts of the status quo or what I'm comfortable with. And quite honestly, many of us, we don't like to change. But a shift requires a change. And therefore, I've got to have faith believing that God is moving, that God is inspiring, that God is leading me, and that faith begins to move me, a courageous faith begins to move me into the direction that will bring the shift in my life. Corporately, for us as a church, and as a movement of what God's doing through our church, we need to move in unity to see the shift being made. 
We cannot go a thousand different ways, 1,500 different ways. We've got to walk in unity to get to where God wants us to be. You have an opinion, but so does the other 15 people on your role. They have an opinion as well. And spiritually, I've got the challenge with our pastoral team to decide how are we going to move together? Fifteen of you can text me that this is important. You need to do this. We're not doing that. Why are we not doing that? And that may be a good thought, but there's a thousand thoughts. And thus, God, what's the unity that will unite us so that we can walk one mind, one heart, one accord, regardless of our diversity, regardless of our color or our political party, regardless of where we're at in the faith. We're young and new in the faith, or we've been serving God for many, many years. We've got to walk in unity. So we started looking into the upper room. The upper room was a place of surrender. It was a place where the power of God is being released, where the Holy Spirit is working. And when in the upper room, God begins to reveal, God begins to guide, he begins a transforming work because like this morning in our worship, we become aware of his presence. And when we're in the upper room and we're aware of his presence, things begin to change because the power in the power of the Holy Spirit is what causes the change. But the power of the Holy Spirit and the presence of the Holy Spirit begins to become very real to us. And we begin to shift in our spirit, in our mindset. We begin to come in alignment to the word and to the spirit and to the work of the spirit in our minds because we become alert and aware of what the spirit is is desiring in our life it's a supernatural shift so what i've been doing each week if you're following me now is i'm walking us into how does god bring shift and we're looking through the book of acts we looked last week and i want to take us back there and pick up in acts chapter 1 in verse 4 acts chapter 1 in verse 4 Turn with me there. Acts 1, verse 4. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them. Who's speaking here? Jesus. He commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait. Circle it, underline it. Wait for what? The promise of the Father, which he said you will receive you've heard me talk about it you've heard from me about the holy spirit john baptized with water but you shall be baptized with the holy spirit not many days from now let me pause for a moment and say the key here that jesus is saying is waiting in the upper room for the outpouring of the holy spirit that's what we were doing today. It's soaking in his presence. It's seeking him and longing to be with him. There is something that happens when you're waiting and worshiping and soaking and knocking and asking and worshiping God. Is all of a sudden the need for God in your life is increasing. The things of the world are decreasing. And as you're waiting, you begin to hear him. And thoughts come into your mind. And revelation comes into your mind. Something gets into your spirit and your spirit begins to get stronger because you're waiting on him and as we wait on him he's releasing the supernatural into your life 
Did you sense that today as we were worshiping? God rewards those that wait upon him. The problem is that in the church today, we've got impatient in waiting on God. If there's moments of silence, we're thinking something's wrong. There was moments today, you guys were like, What's going on? We got to get going. Who's coming? When's pastor coming? When's the sermon starting? I got to get to the game. The game's going to start. I'm getting hungry. Lunch. You shouldn't get hungry, but you are hungry because you're fasting. And that makes you hungry. Never, never mind. I'm going to get caught up there. And all of a sudden we're waiting. But in the waiting, in the soaking, in the, in the pressing into the upper room, there, there is such a release of God. And there is a sense of God that begins to fill our spirit because we're surrendering to him in the moment. Waiting allows God to move as he desires. I think about Ezekiel 47 where the river was coming from the temple the river, the flow of the Spirit was coming from the temple represented the presence of God and he led him the, the, the prophet down to the river and he led him ankle deep then knee deep, then waist deep and then it was a river so deep that he could not hold the ground anymore and he was swimming uncontrolled by holding on to the ground but now the river was taking him where the river wanted to go that's what I'm talking about today. Where we get to a place that we're seeking in the upper room and waiting on him. And we throw away our oars. We throw away our paddles. We're no longer able to control the environment. And we're just saying, God, I go with you. And I wait with you. And I seek you. And there's a relentless desire to be in the presence of God. And for you to move, it's the key of saying, God, there's a relentless desire for me to worship you. It takes time waiting and seeking and praying and worshiping and knocking. And we can't rush the moment. As pastors, we're sensitive. We're moving through the moments. We're, 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 we've got a plan. We've laid it out. We've talked about it. But in the moment, we're saying, God, we're sensitive to what you're doing. And, and you learn to, to follow as we lead you into the presence. I have a model, is that the service is the message. The sermon is a part of the message, but worship and prayer and seeking and exhortation and prophetic words, all of it is a part of the message that God is wanting to communicate to his people, and God is in control. Therefore, God, we're, we're flowing in that moment and we're waiting on you. Yes, spirit and truth will come together. Spirit and truth leads to life, life abundant, revelation. Sometimes we need more worship. Sometimes we need more time in the altar. Sometimes we need more preaching and teaching so the revelation is revealed. But it all comes together and they were told to wait. Say wait. He goes on to say in verse Let's jump down. Let me see. In verse 5, just to finish it off, he goes on to say, did I have the rest of verse 5 there? In, in, in verse 5, he goes on to finish by saying, wait for that promise which the Father told you. For John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now, the key verse of the book of Acts is verse 8. Chapter 1, verse 8. Go down a few more verses. 
In fact, it's the outline for the book of Acts. You will receive this power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. And here's the, the layout for the book of Acts. You're going to witness where they were in Jerusalem for you and I. That's right here in South Florida. In Judea, the outer areas, Samaria, other areas uh, uh, that were around them that the Jews rejected and despised the Samaritans. But you're going to go there as well. And then to the ends of the earth. The key verb here, you may want to underline it and write it down, is up in verse 5, baptize. He says, John baptized with water, underline it, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. That verb there, baptize, is a verb that, that gives you the idea that, that one is being immersed or overwhelmed, in a sense, with water. If we're talking about water baptism, it's the act that has one being immersed. Something is being immersed, and somebody is doing the immersing. John baptized in water. He was the one that was baptizing, and one was being immersed into water. And you, he says, will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, for a moment, if I can just go down a road for a moment to help you understand some theological things, is that there are three baptisms that are talked about in the New Testament. The first baptism we see in the New Testament is a baptism into the body of Christ, a body of Christ. Let me show it to you in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 12. For by one spirit we must all be baptized into one body, whether what? Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. Now this is referring to, this baptism into the body of Christ is referring to our salvation. When we trust Christ to forgive us of our sins and he comes and he dwells in our lives and we become children of God, Christ followers, we are baptized into the body of Christ. We are immersed into the body of Christ, Christ's church. The agent, the one doing the baptism into the body of Christ is the Holy Spirit. Now, Paul helps us to understand it better over in Titus. In Titus chapter 3... At one time, you too were foolish, and he's describing our lives before Christ, what an unbeliever is like. At one time, you were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and, dis and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and, and having hate or hating one another. Verse 4, but when the kindness, the grace of God and the love of God, our Savior appeared, he saved us. Can I hear an amen? Not because of our righteous things that we had done, but because of his mercy. 
He saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewing by the Holy Spirit. This is the baptism into the body of Christ, into our walk as believers, into Christ. We are baptized, becoming born again followers of Christ when we repent of our sin and we turn to the Lord asking for forgiveness of sin and asking him to be the Lord of our lives. We are brought into the family of God by the grace of God. And can we say amen? So that by the renewing of the Holy Spirit whom poured out to us and on us generously. He goes on to say, through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. It's a baptism into the body of Christ. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to, he continues to say, to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. Can I hear an amen? So it's a baptism into the body of Christ. The second baptism that we're often very familiar with is a baptism in water. Now we do our baptisms down at the beach usually. We do a one or two times a year baptisms here and you'll see pictures behind me of the baptism. We're familiar with baptism in water. Matthew 28, Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations doing what? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It's a baptism in water. Water baptism is an act of obedience following repentance and faith in Christ for salvation. So when we become Christ followers, we're to be water baptized because it becomes a public statement to the seen world and the unseen world of our identification with Christ. Identification in his death, in his burial, and in his resurrection, representing the immersion underwater and coming back up. The immersion into water, representing the death and resurrection and new life that we have. No longer slaves to our old life, but now we're declaring that we are identified with Christ, that we are Christ followers. And we don't quite understand it like the Jewish culture had to understand it in biblical times because when they were baptized, they were saying, we deny our traditions, we deny these things that we were brought up with, understanding that the true Messiah is one that's not coming, but the true Messiah is Jesus Christ, and we're identifying that he is our Savior and our Lord. And therefore, we identify with him in water baptism, and it's a declaration to the seen world and the unseen world. The agent is the person that's baptizing. Pastor Sean, Pastor Alex, myself, someone else that's baptizing. That's the agent baptizing the one who has made a confession of faith in water, and therefore, they're helping them to make that identification. And by the way, it's a command. And if you've never been water baptized, my challenge to you is to determine, let there be a shift in your mind that this year you will be water baptized. Our next water baptism is March 25th. You'll see the QR code. If you want to be water baptized, you want to hear more about it, just go ahead and let us know and we will help you. The third baptism that we see in Scripture 
The first is into the body of Christ. The second is water baptism. But the third that we were looking at is that of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. For John, verse 5 again, baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. If we go over into Acts chapter 2, one chapter over, in verse 33, the Holy Spirit's now been poured out. They are beginning to, uh, to begin to, to, to move in the gift of the Spirit. They're praying uh, out in the streets in tongues. People are asking, what is taking place? What is happening here? And in Acts 2.33, it says, Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God, And having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, Peter says, he poured out this you now see and hear. So it was something. Here we look at that it was a baptism. And and, and a baptism in the Holy Spirit where one now is being immersed or they're being overwhelmed with the Holy Spirit. The agent or baptizer is in this verse Jesus himself. And often you'll see with the pictures even behind me, you'll, you'll, you'll see that people will come around and they'll pray with you. They'll be praying with you. They'll lay hands on you. They'll begin to help you to begin to get into a place and a space where you can receive the Holy Spirit and God can begin to speak through you. Can I hear an amen to that? When the day of Pentecost came... Chapter 2, verse 4, we know that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Those that were in the upper room, and they began to speak in tongues, and they began to speak as the Spirit of God gave them utterance. Speaking in tongues, by the way, if I could just take a moment, is what we call the initial physical evidence. Not the only evidence that you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, but it's the initial evidence evidence. It's it's what people hear. It's an indication that one has received the Holy Spirit. If you go a little bit further, you're going to read it in Acts here in another day or two in our reading that 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 when Simon saw the gift of the Holy Spirit being released, it doesn't talk about them praying in tongues, but he wanted to buy whatever power the apostles had. What was it that led him that there was a there was a power or there was something that he could get that in his sorcery he could use the same kind of methods with those that he was ministering to? Well, when you follow the trend of the book of Acts, it was when you received the Holy Spirit, you were given a prayer language and you were given a way to commune with God and you were given a way to begin to penetrate into the heavenlies and we call it your prayer language or the gift of speaking in tongues. By the way, when you go over to Corinthians, there's a second use for the gift of tongues and that is if one were to give a message in tongues in a public setting like this. That in a public setting where there may be individuals, maybe uh, some of you here even today that have never experienced the gift of tongues or or never received a prayer language to pray uh, and commune with God in a heavenly language that we call speaking in tongues. If you're in a setting like this where there may be those that are unaware or not familiar that if there's a message in tongues, in Corinthians it shows us that there must be an interpretation to tongues. So that the one speaking isn't the only one edified, but everyone is edified by the message in tongues. And that's why we've got to be very careful on the public mic because of the scriptural mandate. 
So here we see that it was the initial physical evidence. It's an outward sign that one has been baptized with the Holy Spirit. So in my final moments, I want to just thought, uh, I want to just uh, lead to the thought of how does one shift to new spiritual levels in their life? Well, I've been talking about and unpacking point number one, and now I want you to write it down if they didn't already pop it up, and that is being filled with the Holy Spirit. A spiritual shift comes as we're empowered by the Spirit, as we wait on the Spirit, as we have an attitude that says, I'm not leaving until you touch me, oh God. Can I hear an amen to that? I mean, you, you'll see the pictures that we put up and, and times. Last week it happened, by the way. We closed the service. I was already out in the lobby meeting people. And man, for another hour, hour and a half, worship just continued. People kept worshiping. Nobody wanted to leave. I mean, in fact, when Pastor Kevin was trying to close the service, people were saying, more, more, keep going, more, more. I'm telling you, a preacher loves that when you keep saying more, more. Keep going more. And that's what happened last week. Now, you didn't shout very loud right there. Maybe I got to get Pastor Kevin back up here. I don't know. But, but that's what happens is that when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, I mean, there is something that just says, God, we're going to touch you. We're going to wait until you move, oh God. We've got to be empowered by you. Jesus gave the command to wait for the baptism in the Holy Spirit. There were 500, 500, it tells us that we're given that command. Now there's 50 days until Pentecost, and then they're going to the upper room. And by the time they received the gift, there was only 120 that was left. The reason is, is there is a participation and a time of waiting and a time of surrendering. And it may not happen in a few moments, 50 days until Pentecost, and 10 days in the upper room for the last 10 of those 50. And there, in their waiting, they receive the Holy Spirit. So my challenge is, God, help us, help us, oh God, to keep waiting and waiting and seeking and knocking and asking. God, we want to have more of you, and we want to touch you, God, and we want an outpouring of your Spirit. Why are we doing a Friday night, watch night, prayer service? It won't quite be all night, but we've called it all night prayer for many, many years. Why are we doing this? Because we just want to have some consecrated time where there's no program. There's not preaching. It's a time to seek, to worship, to pray, to say, God, what are the shifts that you're wanting to do in my life? What are you wanting to do in my family? What do you want to do in our church and in our city? And God, we are going to be a people that are filled with your spirit, led by your spirit, anointed by your spirit. That's our desire. That's the first, is be filled with the spirit. The second is we got to be transformed by the spirit. Now this is so important. And, 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 and I don't know if I'll get it all done today, and I may come back next week and spend some more time here. And I would do that more often, by the way, but it messes up our campuses, so that's always my challenge. But the transformation is what I started a few weeks ago. The transformation that God wants to make is where my participation comes in. The transformation is the work of the Holy Spirit in me. I've been baptized into the body. 
as a follower of Christ. I've been water baptized. I've been filled with the Holy Spirit. Now my participation in the transformation is to walk in Christ. And my walk in Christ is a walk of obedience. I hope you don't miss it. Because this is the power to your victory. My participation, and it takes courage because I'm saying, God, transform my character, change my life, transform me into your will, make my desires your desires, help me to live out your word, not just be a hearer of the word, but a doer of the word. Let me make changes, God. If there's one thing in a sermon, let me determine that I'm going to apply that to my life, oh God. I may know everything else, but there might be one sentence, God, where I'm out of obedience with you, and so, God, I'm out asking you, do the work of transformation in my life. Paul says it this way. Look over in Romans chapter 8. Paul says those who are dominated, say dominated, by what? The sinful nature. Sinful nature is also called the carnal man. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. We're talking about transformation. To move and shift, it says you can't keep thinking about sinful things. Because those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that pleases the Spirit. I'm slowing down on purpose because I don't want you to miss it. The spirit in the work of transformation pulls the believer's mind to spiritual things. If I'm being transformed, I'm allowing the spirit to pull my mind towards spiritual things. one of the most important passages in all of Scripture because it discusses the the importance of what a man thinketh. So he is, Proverbs 23 would say. Where a mind, the man's mind goes or where a mind, uh, a man keeps his mind and what he thinks about will determine who he is and what he does. A man keeps his mind and his thoughts on the things of this world, even though he's been baptized into the body of Christ, he will still become like the world. The values of the world, the ways of the world, the thinking of the world. He'll move like the things of the world would tell you, the the philosophies of the world, the, the, the policies of this world, because his mind is on the things of the world. But if his eyes and his thoughts are focused on God and the righteousness of God, he will become godly and righteous because he's walking in an obedience to the Lord. There's a shift that's taking place in his life, and that shift is moving him from the carnal to the spiritual. The carnal is the sinful nature of man. It's man's flesh. It's it's our body. It's our lust. It's our fleshly desires. It's what we see. We desire. We see it and we want to acquire it. It's the pride of life. How many likes? Who does this? What have I done? What have I accomplished? It's the things of the world is the carnal man. 
But the spiritual man is the, is the one that has a spiritual mind. And the spiritual mind is renewed in the transformational process by the Spirit of God. Now church, this is where we're failing as a global body of Christians. It's the transformational process. It's that we walk in the Spirit, led by the Spirit, obedient to the things of God, that we're moving from the carnal to the spiritual, and there's a transformation that's taking place in that which the, the believer is focusing on and desiring and embracing and allowing God to do within that believer. Paul will go on. Let me go down to verse 9. Paul will go on, and Paul will say, but you... Turn to your neighbor and say, that's you. You're a believer. But you, as a Christ follower, are not conformed by your what? You're not controlled. I said conformed. You're not controlled. Conformed fits there too. But you're not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit. If, circle it, it's conditional. If you have the Spirit of God living in you. Now living in you means he dwells in you. It's a picture of a home. He dwells there. He's living in you. And remember, Paul goes on to say, remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. So if I go back, flip back up to the next verse, he says, how do you know the Spirit of God is living in you? Verse 8 is that, uh, verse 8, uh, uh, there we go, that, that you're controlled by the Spirit. And, no, no, go to verse 8, 8-8. Eight, eight. Verse 5, he was probably right. Those who are dominated by the Spirit, ah, that's called the fasting fog right there. That's what that's called. I'm just telling you. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. This is what I was looking for. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about that which pleases Spirit. So when he goes down to verse 8, you are not controlled by your sin. You're controlled by the Spirit if the Spirit of God is living in you. So if he's dwelling in you, you will be controlled by the Spirit. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit living in them don't belong at all to him anyway because they're being controlled by their sinful nature. So the idea is dwelling in us. Let me give you five closing thoughts. I want our worship team to come back. So how do I do that, Pastor? How do I allow this transforming work in my life? How does it take place? Well, first of all, in your notes, I've got that the believer keeps his mind upon developing the spiritual character and fruit in his life. See, God is concerned about who I am on the inside. And the work of transformation is that work of changing my character to be more like Christ. That the priority of God becomes my priority. And that the fruit of my life is righteousness and not the works of the flesh, but the works of the Spirit.
therefore, as a follower of Christ, I keep my mind on developing spiritual character. Every year, this becomes a goal that I remind myself of on my own personal goals. Is grow your character. We have found over 40 different biblical character qualities. And I would challenge you to begin to say, God, how do I grow my character? Because you can grow your character. In fact, D.L. Moody says character is what you are in the dark. Philip Brooks would say character may manifest itself at great moments, but it's made in the smaller moments and decisions of one's life. You can grow your character. I've heard people say, well, that's just the way I am. No, 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 no. As a believer, you've got to transform who you are. From the natural to the spiritual. So don't, oh, that's just the way I am. You're going to have to accept me the way I am. No, I accept you. And Christ accepts you where you are, but we love you too much to leave you the way you are. He accepts me the way I am, but he loves me too much. And I love him too much to stay the way I am. So I got to work on my character. And you know what I've learned through the years of working on my character is I'll be going and all of a sudden I'll realize, oh, there's a lesson I failed. I got to go back again. I got to work on that again. Of course, it's the fruit of the Spirit, but much more than that. Character becomes the foundation of your, of your life. It's what's under the surface of your life. It's what nobody really sees about who you are, but you can work on that. The second process of this transformation is the believer keeps his mind on carrying out the ministry and the mission of Christ. We are messengers of hope. Can I hear an amen? Turn to your neighbor and say, we're messengers of hope. We're messengers of hope. And as messengers of hope, we got to keep our minds on carrying out the ministry and the mission of Christ. And by the way, we'll talk about this in a coming week, so I'm not going to be talking about it much here. But your ministry, your spiritual gift, your anointing is to be used for the body of Christ to grow in unity of faith. But all of us have a mission to a lost and to a dying world. So as a messenger of hope, it's both my ministry to the body and my mission to a lost and to a dying world. I become anointed for that. It's my divine design, my purpose in God. And therefore, I got to keep my mind on fulfilling his purpose because that's my anointing. And it's a release of the gifts and the anointing in the body and becoming the voice of the Lord as I go out into a lost and a dying world that you and I are a light that shines and bright, shining bright so that all can hear and see the glory of the Lord that's in us. Thirdly, as believers, we keep our minds upon knowing, believing, and understanding God. You see, if you don't have an accurate view of God, if you don't have an accurate view of God, 
so much around you is not going to make sense. If you don't know what you believe and why you believe, you're going to be tossed here and there by every wind. You're going to be going with whatever society says, whatever the government legalizes, whatever is shown before you. If you don't have roots in your faith, you will not have an accurate view of who you are in God and what God says. And therefore, no matter what may seem like it's the truth, if it's distorted, if you don't truly know the truth and what's authentic, you will be caught off in to that and so a believer's got to keep his mind on knowing believing and understanding God growing in God now that's called doctrine and theology doctrine sounds like a hard word but it's just getting to know God better it's beginning to understand what's essential it's building a foundation of who God is, what God's done. He's done it for others, and therefore I can hold on that he's going to do it again. Make sense of all that's happening in the chaos of the world. Doctrine and theology protects me against error, and most of all, it determines and helps me to determine how will I act as a follower of Christ. Doctrine and theology. We keep our minds there. Knowing, believing, and understanding God. Next, a believer keeps his mind. Keeps his mind upon being conformed more and more to the image of Christ. Now this could go back up to number two, but I separated it. Because I want you to press in your heart and say, God, in 2023, the shift is that I will be more conformed into the likeness of Christ. By the way, on Wednesday night, February 8th, we're going to begin going back to classes, growth group classes. We're going to be going back to, to a time here at Fort Lauderdale where you can get into different classes that will help your faith and more and more conform your life, your character, your knowledge of the word, your life if it comes to finance or parenting or marriage, that you're being conformed into the likeness of Christ. And lastly, is that a believer has got to keep his mind upon casting down imaginations and making every thought obedient to Christ. Now this point is for the mature believers in the house. i got to be honest. Because we deal with a lot of this other stuff, but when you get further in your walk with God, the reality is where the enemy starts coming at you is distorting, twisting, bringing offense, gets us religious and judgmental and criticizing. We, 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 we begin to, to allow other things. And all of a sudden what happens is the enemy, and he's the father of lies, begins to whisper. We begin to believe the lies of the enemy. If we're not careful, we're not pulling down the evil thoughts. We're not, we're not surrendering it. Now we've gotten used to it. And we've gotten used to all that goes on as a believer. Man, here, i got to pull it down. What's the enemy saying? 
What's the lie of the enemy? What is a lie that somebody is speaking over me? I've got to flip the script. You see, I'm a child of God. I'm walking in obedience. I'm walking in the righteous. If the enemy begins to lie that my needs are not being met a certain way, and therefore I've got to do something else which is not of God, I've got to flip the script. I've got to flip that script. I got to turn that off, get that out, because the enemy's trying to get me back to be dominated by the sinful nature that the Spirit reveals. And therefore, God, help me to pull down every thought and help me make it submissive to you. And by the way, that's why I love encounter. I just have to say, I love, and we got an encounter coming in a few weeks. I, I love the encounter because as a new believer, you begin to learn how to close doors. You begin to learn where the enemy is speaking lies. You begin to get a vision of what God wants to do in your life and through your life. Where for so long, maybe you were just up and down in the shallowness of your faith. The encounter begins to put you on a path. And that path is a path that will shift your life. So over the next few weeks, I want to encourage you, keep pressing, keep asking, keep seeking. Let's keep praying and, and fasting. If I'll do my part, God will do his part. My part, deny the flesh. My part, seek and, and pray. My part is say, God, I want you to speak, bring revelation. Help me, God, to understand. And then God's part, as I'm yielding to him, is that there is a supernatural release in my life. Choose today the fast that you will do this week. The success of your fasting is what will you choose today? Will it be the full fast, the Daniel fast, a partial fast, a combination of all of that? Maybe there's a partial fast for part of the week. Maybe there's the Daniel fast for part of the week. Maybe there's a full fast. Friday would be a great day, by the way, to do a full fast. And the reason is, is Friday night we're going to be together in prayer. So you're going to pray over, you know, the, that midnight hour. Just do the full fast. Wake up in the morning. Say, I'm not going to eat until I get out of that prayer meeting. <laughs> and then hit IHOP, hit Denny's, whatever you want to do on the way home. <laughs> That's right. Pastor gave you permission to do it. Yeah. If I can get you to do all day, come to prayer meeting all day long. Go into prayer all night long. That's a great day to be a full fast. Do a media fast this week. I did a media fast all week. Did a media, man, it was just like awesome. It was uh, man, not listening to news. Wow. Ooh, awesome. I don't know what's going on in the world, but man, it was good. It was good. It was good. You know? Every now and then I caught a, you know, a clip of what was happening on the in the sports realm, but it was good. It was good. Do something every day. Now, if you're fasting, let me just, lead, let me let me end with this, and thank you for your patience, is that you're going to feel physically weak. You're going to lose energy. You might even have moments where you're a little bit disillusioned, right? If you're doing a full fast, the first three, four days are the hardest. Honestly, you get past the fourth day, and man, you, you it, it's like, whoa, something's happening. Your sleep patterns might be a little altered. You might have some uh, headaches because your body might be detoxing. You might feel a little lightheaded. There might be a, I call it a mental weakness. Hugh calls it a fog, right? This week, Hugh and I were doing a lot of numbers this week. Bad week, right? And it's like, okay, I'm in a fog. Wait a minute. 
the, the, the slow thinking, that was what bugs me, is my, my mind doesn't quite go as fast. And it's like, okay, okay, okay. But yet I know why I'm doing it. And I just want to let you know that that's a part of it. But what I'm doing is in it. I'm just yielding. It's a time of seeking. So decide today to do something. Father, I thank you. I thank you. In fact, will you stand with me, congregation, around the room? Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, for your anointing. I thank you for your outpour of your spirit. Lord, we're talking about what brings a shift in our spiritual lives. If we're filled with the Holy Spirit, if we're led by the Spirit, if we're people of the Spirit, it'll bring a shift. Not dominated by the sinful nature, but controlled by the Spirit. That there's a shift. Father, if we allow you to transform us, and today we've taken time to look at what brings that transformational work? What enables us to walk in obedience and to be in Christ? The transformation of the Spirit. Just begin to say thank you, God, for the illumination of your word today. There's no doubt in my mind God's spoken to us today. There's illumination of his word. There's revelation, impartation. Say thank you, God. If this ministry is making an impact in your life, why not help us make an impact on the lives of others by partnering with us today? You can give through our CLC app or at clcftl.org forward slash give. Thank you for listening and remember to subscribe for more inspiring messages like this. Now go and be messengers of hope.